0: Welcome to the News Items podcast. As our regular listeners know, we post episodes every Monday through Thursday afternoon. But on some Fridays, we release one of our interviews in its entirety, unedited, for you to hear. Today is an interview with Steen Jakobsen, the chief investment officer at Saxo Bank, where I used to work. I introduce him more fully at the start of the interview. That's coming right up. Steen Jakobsen is the chief investment officer at Saxo Bank, one of the most provocative macro strategists working today, a veteran of the global financial markets for more than two decades, whose annual outrageous predictions are read around the world. Steen, welcome to News Items.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me.
0: For the benefit of our listeners, without getting too deep in the weeds, can you quantify from your perspective as a global investor the extent of the global monetary stimulus that has been unleashed since the start of COVID?
1: So starting with the easy question, Um, (laughs) but if you allow me, I I don't think it's only the monetary uh, stimulus that we need to talk about. It is the combination of exactly the size of the monetary stimulus and the new fiscal spending that the world has accepted as something not only needed, but something which for most people, at least in a political sphere, seems to be without any cost. So we are, by any definition, into a territory of uh, extreme in uh, infinity. Uh, I mean, it, our kids should learn about this because this is the real definition of infinity. Both in terms of the willingness politically, people are 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 able and 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 narratively will go, but also the size of what goes on. It's just simply. Uh, outstanding i mean not outstanding it's 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 out of this world and it's 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 surreal for someone who's been in the market for 30 years
0: so in terms of in terms of the the size and the magnitude and the significance of the stimulus does it doesn't seem that we've entered a new world with covid that i mean we have i mean monetary policy has been very has been easy for you know, quite accommodative for a decade plus and yet it seems that we have entered some new realm with covid can you maybe describe that for our listeners
1: Yes. So we call it the three generational challenges, which Mm -hmm. is that simultaneously, and that's the interesting part, simultaneously, Mm -hmm. we're trying to solve for inequality and for for good reasons, the lower K in terms of the K-shaped economy.
0: Just to clarify for our listeners, when you refer to the lower K side of the economy, you're talking about the model that shows our economy recovering in a K shape, some industries and people recovering quickly, while others continue to struggle. So when you talk about the people on the lower curve, these are people who've taken the hit in the pandemic.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. We are trying to move towards a green transformation. And clearly, in the case of the U.S., we need to have a, a, a massive spend on infrastructure, not only because you are behind a green transformation, but yeah. as you very well know, and I say this with a smile, I mean, the airports in the U.S. is uh, significantly yeah. worse than some <laughs> third world countries I go to uh, in uh, in Africa and uh, Southeast Asia. So. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. there is a need to spend, and just take the New York yeah. subway. As, as far as yeah. I know, nothing has been changed for the last hundred years, right? Yeah, all of them have a huge amount of transfer of income from the, the government to the private sector, and through that, we will create, in my opinion, and and to 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 some extent, a, a lot of other macro guys that we will see some inflationary uh, aspect of the economy because we really already have bottlenecks in 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 particularly in the infrastructure sector. Uh, and 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 that will come to fruition through over the next uh, two to three years. Yeah.
0: Okay. So the so the knock on these policies are that they're that they're inflationary, right? I mean, that's I mean, people said this is massively this is going to be massively inflationary. Um, you know, there are differing opinions as to how bad it's going to be. How do you? I mean, how do you respond to those who ask where the inflation has been for the past decade plus, or who bring up like the technology is deflationary counter argument? How would you respond yeah, to that?
1: Or, or demographics, which is yeah, yeah. another one. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's what was the initial sort of why I had to widen your, your initial question is that, yeah. you know, remember through the crisis in 2008, 2009, but really since 1998 when Greenspan decided to bail out long-term credit uh, hedge fund where he yeah. created this uh, moral hazard that we have today and, yeah. and the concept that we lower interest rate to deal with any hurdle we have in terms of the economy. What changed in the COVID-19 and what is significantly different is the amount of spending we see globally and synchronized. Yeah. So in the past, Europe with Germany leading was very frugal, holding back. Yeah. Uh, China, of course, became the big savior in 2008, 2009, interestingly enough, by being the fiscal uh, train, uh, you know, pulling the rest of the world with it. But this time, the US, Germany ran a Fiscal deficit last year, which equates to about 25% of GDP, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, if you told me at any time in history going forward or in, in the future that Germany would run a 25% deficit fiscally, I would not have believed you. And now it looks like that Germany will have a green chancellor. There's a big chance yeah. that we'll have a, a shift in German politics. Yeah. taking them to be more pro-European, more spending. Uh-huh. So I think Germany is a great example inside Europe of how things have changed. And clearly in the US, you saw not only Trump, but you saw that, that bipartisanly people are willing to spend money. So they disagree on you know, how much and how much needs to be safeguarded by, by increasing taxes and the likes. But overall, there is a, uh, a new optimism towards spending money that, that we've not seen before, despite the uh, the, the the ugly uh, narrative that we have in Congress and 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 in the Senate, they do agree on spending more money. It's just what they're going to spend money on.
0: Yeah. Do, so even if this so global massive global monetary honest, uh, easing does prove to be very inflationary, do you think it's going to be long lasting, or at least longer than the twelve month average above two percent that the Fed is willing to tolerate?
1: So so you know on the on the inflation question, we we have a number of um, we have a number of things changing. One is the uh, the institutional framework by the Federal Reserve has changed. Mm-hmm. So since uh, the 1980s, when the RBNC, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, introduced this uh, randomly selected 2% ceiling of inflation, everyone has been you know, going after this 2% inflation target. Now the Federal Reserve, as the first central bank globally, says, you know, we don't care. We mm-hmm. want to see you know actual inflation above a certain level for a longer term, what they call average inflation, yeah, so the institutional framework has changed that's number one, and that will change the the expected inflation and, and and maybe for your listeners, it's important to understand that somehow everyone thinks that inflation is something that you will see coming and which you will react to. Uh, in, in a sort of glacier shallow matter. But the fact <laughs> is that 80% of inflation is expectation. It is you and your family being willing to pay additional costs to right now getting a car because there isn't enough semiconductors. It's getting your uh, your equipment, which is produced in China, get that through a a harbor into a container, which you cannot get. The container prices are up, you know, 800 uh, percent then the shipping route is up 600 percent and last mile delivery is up by 100 percent so what 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 is going on is that you have first the institutional framework being taken away so there's no control on the top side of inflation then we have due to the u.s china um, rising sort of trade mercantile mercantile Mm fight, technology fight. We have bottlenecks in the economy. And then the pandemic created this massive amount of payouts to the lower K in the U.S. in particular. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, what that has done to a country like China is that it runs at maximum capacity. It runs at over 80% capacity, which is equivalent to running 100% in our world. And that means that they are creating a lot of inflation. And if you look at inflation in the U.S., it's dictated over time by two dominant factors one is the year-over-year change in energy Mm -hmm. which of course you know right now is up 60 70 80 because you know one year uh, back we were trading a minus uh, rate and the second part is the ppi of china so the producer price in china is the import prices of equivalent in the u.s Mm -hmm. so when the spend goes to uh, cameras iphones uh uh, additional, you know, uh, goods that you want to buy, uh, you know, not all of it, but quite quite a chunky part of it actually goes through China, either directly or indirectly. Which means that China is exporting inflation into the U.S. So, bottlenecks, institutional frameworks, and the the way that the Americans in particular spent money means that we have massive jumps in inflation. The problem, however, is that the CPI is, and I'm not saying this because I'm I'm believing in 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 that there is a conspiracy out there, but the CPI <laughs> is constructed such that it will never go up. You know, mm-hmm. it's it basically a reverse engineering exercise of making sure that the weight in the basket is dictated by, you know, heavy weights towards things that are going down, which is technology, part mm-hmm. of your question. And, and then, you know, reducing what is really uh, going up, which is uh, semiconductors. It is uh, rental prices is going through the roof right now because of the housing prices going up, mm-hmm. building a new house in the U.S., has an added cost of now between 25 and 30,000 dollars uh, per house mm-hmm. um, the so so you you see the mechanics is that the inflation will be you know lacking in terms of its reporting uh, of the actual inflation but mm-hmm. ask anyone who's in a business today and they will tell you they are paying 30, 40, 50% more for goods and god forbid you need to go to the uh, do it yourself store yeah. locally you're paying easily for timber, timber is up 100%, just, mm-hmm. uh, just one tiny component, but a massive component in the in construction industry. So, you know, if you're looking for inflation, don't look for the official numbers, look for what's going on in businesses. Mm-hmm. And certainly, as we are into the earnings season in the US, I think all analysts, including my analysts, are looking at what are the companies reporting in terms of rises, input costs, mm-hmm. and consequently, also, how can they pass on those price rises to the consumers, which they feel they can because, as you know, as a consumer, as someone who follows the market, there's a big net demand in the economy. So, for me, it's inevitable. There's still enough people in the world that believe that velocity is low, so it cannot go up. Technology is uh, at its root uh, deflationary. But the thing is, even inside, uh, you know, you, you can have the greatest platform in the world. But try to find the marginal programmer that can do a difference for your software company. Getting that person is now up 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50, 100 200 percent So you know, we can become more efficient. But at the end of the day, and that's my main take, is that mm-hmm. the physical world today, Rebecca, is too small for the success and the aspiration of a combination of increase in transfer income, in green transformation and uh infrastructure overall, I mean, we don't have a physical world big enough. We have underinvested into mm-hmm. the physical world, which is road ports uh, companies' capability of dealing with higher rises uh, in wages, okay. so physical world too small for the for the digital aspiration, and overall, the world too small to deal with free challenges at the same time one challenge on his own like dealing with inequality would have been more than enough yeah but all of these are inflationary
0: so apropos of inequality i mean what do you make of uh, fed chair jerome powell's uh shift i would say i I would call it a rhetorical shift maybe in recent weeks and months and talking about the central banks uh the, the sort of the second leg of its of its mandate which is maximum employment and how it pertains to and how that the part of that mandate pertains to low U.S. workforce participation numbers since the onset of COVID. I think you've, you've referred to this in your research as the social stability paradigm. What do you think of, of what Powell's trying to do on the jobs front?
1: Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. The, the Federal Reserve has become employment-centric, which yeah. means that they <laughs> – have moved the forward guidance policy, which we classically as investors look at. We're trying to interpret what will happen into the future. And needs replace replaced that with saying, listen, there is six to seven million jobs missing in this yep. equation. And before we get to that full employment, again, we are not going to consider... Uh, secondary and, and third tier uh, sort of effects of what our policy will do. we rather run the economy hard. we rather run inflation hard mm-hmm. as long as we see an improvement in employment mandate. So this is uh, a 180 degrees change, which comes with a lot of uh, other 180 degrees changes. I, I talked about the fiscal dominance that we see. Mm-hmm. We talk about the uh, willingness to control interest rates in a yield curve control uh, so, so yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and that's what your listener needs to understand. The world yeah. is not like in 2008, 2009. The inflationary impact actually comes from all of the single focus that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury and government has on supporting the lower K. And I'm yeah. not making a political judgment whether that's right or wrong. Yeah. I think there is a need to do social policy. But doing it through a monetary uh, Federal Reserve concept, I think is wrong. I mean, when I grew up, and I still think that's the case, although it's 30 yeah. plus years since I went to university, a society over time is built on productivity and its educational system. I mean, if you look at the richest country around the world uh, in GDP per capita terms, they have one thing in common, and mm. that is that they – well two things in common they have a very con- strong constitution they give equal access not equal rights but equal access for everybody to take an education and to mm-hmm. be part of society but most importantly they have the best educational system at the margin mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's where with all due respect for the us you have great elite institutions yep. but the general level of education is something that needs to be invested heavily into and i would say if you do that you will again be uh, at the forefront of everything but right yep. now americans Every single politician, not just American politicians, are looking for externalities, uh, external factors why they are not having a success.
0: You know, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, actually, because on the topic of, of economic inequality in the U.S., as you say, like the sort of lower leg of the K, I mean, thanks to, you might say, the the, uh, the easy money policies after the great financial crisis. I mean, monetary policy has been very easy. That's exacerbated inequalities in countries like the US but it didn't create those inequalities and what i you know what what i would suggest to you is that you know this this culture of, let's say uh, tech tech companies or startups that are very richly valued, for example, and that reward the efforts of the lone startup founder and a tiny handful of his friends and disincentivize job creation and incentivize job disruption. That's been going on for like twenty plus years now. I mean, the markets have continuously rewarded that economic model. To what extent do you think that's become culturally entrenched and is not something that a federal reserve chair, for example, can really address in the matter of a few years?
1: I think the easy answer to that is that imagine if you wanted to reduce inequality in the U.S. mathematically, uh-huh. the easiest thing to do was just to reduce the stock market valuation by 90%, right? Then everybody <laughs> will be less unequal, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, which of course which doesn't make a lot of sense, but also showed the weakness in your case that it's just a part of an evolution. The problem from a market point of view is that we have no enforcement of uh, monopoly or monopoly rules. Uh, a lot of these platforms that are successful and creates this inequality are driven on what is in legal terms defined as monopolies. They have been able to, through lack of anchoring in what sectors they're in, in the case of Facebook, they should be you know treated like a publisher uh, uh, and not as, a, as an IT company and the likes. And there's a lot of arbitrage that has been done in the past. But but I think the market concentration, which is the fancy word for monopoly, is very is the largest ever. I don't think there's a think about your grocery chain uh, chains in the U.S. or think about you know any product that you buy, Rebecca. There's really mm-hmm. only one or two products offered to you. When we grew up, uh, at least when I grew up, I'm much older than you. But when I grew up, there was you know. 9 10 12 different brands in the same sector uh, fighting it out and you know you could be number 3 and make it to number 1 today if you are number 1 in a in a sector you own 90% of the market and what's left is the 10% for everybody else to to fight for and that means of course, as in an equation type uh, evaluation that these 90% is worth a lot of money because you have uh, discrete cash flows that, uh, that you know is coming constantly and then you discount and you have a very low interest rate. But you're absolutely right on the other hand that, that the inequality is not – to be honest, the, the, the biggest inequality I see is not between the rich and the poor. Because to some extent, that's always existed. And it is true that the middle class has been the big losers. So the middle class has lost out, uh, relatively speaking. But the big, biggest gap we have in the world today is between the young and my generation. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly in Europe, but also in the US. So Explain. The ability of a young person today, which is 20, 22 years old, to get into buying the first apartment or buying the first house is just impossible for the same person to take an education at a at an ivy league school or a great university also impossible to access Mm -hmm. so it's kind of ironic you have one of the greatest constitutions in the world but you're very very poor but not only you but across the world to, to actually implement and follow up on this equal access. It's not equal rights, it's equal access to, mm-hmm. to everything. And and I think in the US, it is not the case. And, and I think the young people are left behind. If you look at Europe, for instance, the new regulatory capital requirements by banks mm-hmm. means that in order to get a mortgage, you have to show up uh, with you know five years of uh, pay slips mm-hmm. and uh, a, a credit worthiness uh, north of uh, a gazillion uh, which of course no one at the age of twenty-two or twenty-three have, mm-hmm. and when they again, if they you know by surprise gets granted to to get a mortgage, then they need to buy into a housing market which is priced priced at all-time highs and priced at multiples, which means that owning is half as expensive as renting. So not not mm-hmm. only are we you know making sure from a regulatory capital pers- perspective that it's difficult to get a get a funding. Uh, for a mortgage but secondly when we don't give them the mortgage we tell you just go to the market and rent but by doing that they pay twice the price what what you and Mm -hmm. I do in terms of owning a property Uh, and thirdly if they want to go and and, and they want to spend money in the economy they're Consumer price basket is, is very high on education, very high on food, all of which are rising uh, between ten and twenty-five percent, and has mm-hmm. been rising between ten and fifteen percent in the case of education for the past twenty years. So mm-hmm. the gap and, and the ability to get onto the ladder and become, you know, as rich or as poor as your parent is 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 decimated. Uh, so so the social mobility is actually what I think is the biggest concern, not only in the U.S., but also mm-hmm. across Europe, that we are leaving a young generation behind who, and, and, and older people like to say, oh, but they love this, uh, this uh, share platform and whatever. <laughs> but they only love it because they have to, they right? Have to. It's, it's yeah, not be- it. It's not because <laughs> they don't want to own a car or an apartment. Mm-hmm. It's because they can simply cannot afford it. So they need to find a solution that, that clears at a price which is significantly lower than having the ownership.
0: Now, you talked uh, a little earlier on about uh, how the, the willingness of governments to spend on COVID recovery comes down to the uh, how sort of, at least in the U.S., from a bipartisan perspective, it's a popular decision. It's not something that you have to fight over. I mean, maybe you fight over where to a lot spending, but there's agreement that governments should spend their way out of COVID, so they're just going to go all in and get it done. How optimistic are you as an observer of the US political and economic landscape from the outside that the Biden infrastructure plan will actually happen?
1: I lived in the US as you know <laughs> beggar and my daughter was born in the US but I, I you know I'm I'm on one hand I'm very optimistic for for a very uh, for a very skeptical reason and then yeah. you know Biden is not going to deliver the green uh uh, he's not going to live with the infrastructure plan. I think he will yep. try, and I think he may be able to get something through. But remember already back in 2008, 2009, we actually had the central government facilitating uh, that the local state could do infrastructure investment. Mm-hmm. And it was, as I remember, something like they needed to come up with 10% and the government would come up with 90%. No one, no single state actually did anything for infrastructure. So uh-huh. I think the federal system, in terms of infrastructure, it makes it very difficult to implement unless you go to, as you did during World War Two and after World War Two, where you have buy America, build America, or, or mm. get a greater sort of uh, concept. And I think... The reason, you know, $50 billion, which is, again, bipartisanly agreed to go into the semiconductor industry, Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting if that can create the next level. So let Mm -hmm. me say on the U.S., I'm very optimistic long-term and very pessimistic short-term. I think when the U.S. starts uh, recognizing that uh, a lot of the the non-productivity, non, the non-growth that U.S. has comes from domestic agendas, not from externals, I think U.S. will be in a great place. When U.S. decides to move forward again and not look backwards, which I think both Biden, certainly Trump, and, 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 and most importantly, Obama did, they all looked in uh, 2020 rear mirrors. As, as a friend of mine said, there's a reason why in a car that the front window is much bigger than the back, the rear <laughs> the window, rear Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and to some extent, I think that's how I think about politicians. They are busy looking through the small window instead of looking through the big window. Yeah. The big window, U.S. will catch up to. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, I'm not against, you know, a political, you know, apolitical. I don't care. No. I just look no. at what they do, not what they say. But the ability of actually delivering 2.2 trillion, you know, also because of the constitution of Senate, of course, it's difficult, but yeah. but even if you have the money, as we've seen in Europe, it's very difficult to actually get the actual project, the actual investment, yeah. you know, on the ground, seeing where that money goes. Uh, and, and, and I think in the plan he put forward, to be honest, politically, typically, uh, you know, in the US, you put a lot of... Uh, additional spending into that plan that has right. nothing to do with infrastructure. Right. So if I was a, a very, which I am, a skeptical <laughs> economist, I'll say that 25% <laughs> is infrastructure and 75% is political uh, meat for the midterm election.
0: You know, it's it's interesting what you mentioned about the the... The, the real, the chief divide being between, not between rich versus poor, but between young versus old. Because here in the US, I mean, certainly the uh, the profile of our leading politicians is that they are much older than, not only than, you know, the people they're making decisions for, but certainly from their counterparts in Europe. I don't know if you've noticed that. Does it strike you as odd that US politicians are so much older than their counterparts? No, and it's in, an international
1: in a- standard, but I think yeah. that is the real question. I mean, yeah. Anyone who sits around in the U.S. today and thinks that it's going to be Pelosi and Schumer and uh, and McConnell and these guys who's going to drive the agenda in the U.S. over the next ten years—they're wrong. It's going yeah. to be whether you like it or not—it's going to be AOC and and people in her age group. Number yeah. one, because now they constitute the biggest single electoral vote uh, out there. They are the biggest voters uh, nominally uh, mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, I, I think you know we we will see less and less. Uh, guys like me guys in their their (laughs) 50s and 60s and 70s who are white you know it's just a fact because of the the change of demographics Mm -hmm. Uh, but 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 i think the what is coming now is a youth uh, generation and that's why i also wanted to to take you in the direction of the biggest divide now is between young and older and it's not just about money it's about politics it's about green policy Mm -hmm. it's about taxation it's about society it's about Uh, community uh, where my generation is the baby boomers are the the most fortunate generation ever we didn't get to see the war which our parents saw and we lived through lower and lower and lower interest rates through this Mm -hmm. period now we have a two-way market at best at worst we have a steepening uh, uh, increase in in both taxes and 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 cost and to to as someone who grew up in the 1970s I can tell you almost – I can almost guarantee you we're going to have a repeat on the 1970s, which was big governments, Uh heavy-handed heavy heavy government intervention. Because what is interesting is that globally, not just in the U.S., when a government gets involved, they always do uh, increase the regulation. Because you know, Rebecca, we need to make sure the money we gave you is spent correctly. So in order to do that, you have to have some more red tape to make sure that we can control that you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so that was very much the case. It was also the case that we, in the 1970s, we opened to China. Now we are closing to China. We had the, uh, we left the the gold standard, which uh, now people are trying to make crypto the new, new yeah. standard. But certainly, the fiat money system has an issue because we are monetizing debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think to a lot. I mean, of course, we're not going to repeat the 1970s, but we are politically going into the same sort of environment and don't forget the 1960s late 1960s was the youth generational yep. uh riots across the world and and on campuses uh it was not only the equal right for uh, for for but also for young people and their ability to navigate and i yep. see the same tendency everywhere i mean as i alluded to before the green party in germany is the biggest it's it's a young person's party it's a young agenda mm-hmm. uh, in the u.s i think the uh, the young uh, congressmen and women there are the most profiled and even for someone who is stale and old and uh, as you can see uh, you no. can see but the listener can't see lost all my hair <laughs> no. i i have to admire someone at aoc in the communicative skills you have in the narratives he creates yeah. i disagree probably with 95 percent of what she says but i yeah. you know Someone, someone who does and believe in what they believe in, I will always have time for to listen to.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because the, the 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 challenges that you enumerated that the U.S. is facing, or even that the world is facing, in terms of you know the green imperative, the environmental imperative, uh, you know, investment, need for infrastructure investment, need for educational investment, etc. Those are all, you know, those all seem like such energizing, galvanizing you know, challenges that, a, you know, new generation is ready to step in and it'd be just like the late 1960s. But the one thing I would say is like that we're at least in the U.S. we're in an environment of incredible political toxicity and, you know, I mean, they will, you know, whether, you know, whether or not, you know, the Biden infrastructure plan is 25 percent infrastructure or 72 percent infrastructure or whatever. It doesn't matter what the number is. He is going to be fought tooth and nail. On this thing, just because, you know, and and rather than and rather than the major political parties, you know, simply accepting this level of polarization, they have become dependent upon it. (laughs) They rely on it. Right. I mean.
1: But let me ask you, ask you a question. So, so. I presume to being a mom and and, and a a person of IQ, you you believe in the green transformation and something needs to be done, right?
0: Sure, of course, of course. Mm
1: -hmm. I hope you still have your parents. I presume your parents still think the same thing, right? Yep,
0: they do. And how
1: are you educating your children? Are they going to go for the green transformation as well? Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, course. so there you have it. So what's interesting is that if you look at subjects or areas of interest where we have a Mm -hmm. common... Interest. Yeah. The only thing that crosses generational gaps is actually something like green transformation or mm-hmm. looking after nature, whatever shape or form you want to define that. Mm-hmm. And I think they're playing that card really well. And I think it's it's a card that needs to be played. Whether you uh, believe in the Swedish girl, what's her name, um, Greta Thunberg, or, or not, I mean, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that even in my daily job, when I talk to CEOs around the world, the number yeah. one thing they need to address today is ESG. Mm-hmm. Or United Nations uh yeah. living standards, all green transformation, all green or certification into being green. Yeah. And this is every single company from a mining company to a shipping company to a production company to Henderson Morris, whatever. Yeah. All of these CEOs are talked to spend today literally more than you know half their time trying to be green. So What is interesting for me as an external person to this whole political process is that, you know, again, we can disagree what the direction and the projection and the vector is going to be on Mm -hmm. how to become green. But the direction is certain. It's it's that there is no doubt that we're going to spend more money on trying to make a better, you know, greener, be more in in sync with nature and the lives going forward, which dictates that there's going to be shortages of uh, physical world assets like, you know, if you decarbonize, you are metallizing basically your economy yep. because you need all these catalysts and the likes mm-hmm. but but all of these I think what the what the left or the radical or the young has not ca- accounted for is that there are unintended consequences of the aspiration. I, I'm not yes. against their aspiration. I'm just saying as a practical guy, there isn't enough carbon in the world to build. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the windmills and the uh, catalyst and the batteries and whatever you do. And that's going to yep. create the inflation. But but I think going to the core of your question, I think what is interesting about green or nature is that that's one of the few things I see, at least in my world and uh, the investor I talk to, which actually unite us across all age groups. And, and even across all uh, political spectrums that we can find.
0: Yeah. That's do you think that's going to have geopolitical consequences which in turn will have macroeconomic consequences?
1: Yeah, it, it means that that one day very soon you have to uh, you have to sanction uh, atomic power mm-hmm. because you need baseload for these electrical system which yep. we was shown in Texas is needed. Yeah. Uh, it means that we need to greenfield uh, and and make investment into mining facilitation you know, more restrictive in terms of pollution, but we also need that part of the economy to be invested into. So I think there's a huge upside in in, in that whole metal uh, mm-hmm. uh, space that's placed to the green transformation. Yeah. So for me, you know, that's the only thing that's relevant. I mean, when I look at my portfolio, I got logistic. I like companies that actually yeah. deliver products. I like mm-hmm. shipping I like mining companies which are underinvested. I like energy because not because I think that fossil energy should be used, but simply yeah. the naivety by which we we talk about having, you know, enough batteries and electric vehicles. And and I don't know you saw that, but Wall Street had an article about what is the break-even mileage on an electric mm-hmm. vehicle relatively to a you know a, a, a gasoline or an, yeah. a, a gas gasoline driven car and we we are talking about more than 100,000 miles because of all of the metals that goes into the battery of the electric vehicle so i'm not against this conversation but let's have it with the facts not mm-hmm. with the heart and and, mm-hmm. and and i think right now as you said uh, a few times i think the, the 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 left of the democratic party is willing and able to use and play to the to the heart of people, but I think we need to have the yep. conversation with the heart and the brain. Facts, and yep. I think that's the next evolution of of, of what goes on in, in political environment. And that means that there's going to be more young people, more women, and there are going to be more green people in the US, in Germany, in Denmark, in the UK and everywhere else.
0: Yeah, so it's it's so... it's. I have to say, Steve, it's very refreshing to hear the European perspective on these on these kind of issues because it's a different it's a different mindset in many parts of the U.S. I, I I venture to say. Can we talk a little about your view of the European post COVID recovery? Do you think that what kind of shape is is Europe in coming out of this thing? Because we're seeing kind of a patchwork of. Patchwork of timelines for a vaccine rollout, and I think the the economic recovery is possibly a little patchy, but you're over there. Let me know what you what what are you seeing
1: yeah so. I think it's all down to a timeline. So China was first having the COVID nineteen and first out of it, so they benefited all the way to until you know two to three months ago. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is seeing the peak activity from you know the exit from underneath the COVID nineteen, and next up, surprise, surprise, is Europe, which means that the equity market and the 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 hope, uh, not least, but also the fact, is that we will we will be there by Q three probably and certainly by Q four. You know, now the U S. will start to export some of your vaccine because people don't want to take it. Uh, uh, and Europe has been slower, simply also because we have, and I should be careful here, but we have slightly higher demand on vaccines than than you had in the u.s in the yeah, past and say it doesn't it. mean you can say it. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't mean that the u.s is wrong it just means we have a longer process to approve mm-hmm. it partly because you know you have 27 countries
0: mm-hmm.
1: so if you look at the vaccination policy in europe right now my country which is you know deemed to be one of the richest and best in pharmaceuticals is you know one of the few countries that is actually not using uh, some of the vaccines Mm-hmm. Um, and that costs us in terms of getting online. But on the other hand, we have so much control over the hospital system that we can afford to be a little bit delayed. But of course, Europe is similar to the U.S. It's mm-hmm. you know whether you're in the Midwest or West or South or North or, or cold, warm, whatever. Mm-hmm. You have all the same sort of uh, characteristic and different, you know, uh, as you have in the states in the U.S. But but overall, Europe will be fine. And and Europe actually yeah. benefits slightly. From from this focus on pharmaceuticals, on green transformation, uh, on electric uh, grids, uh, van sanitation, all this stuff is actually what we in Europe do really well. We do this engineering project-oriented uh, stuff yeah. pretty well. Uh, we are not very good at being innovative on platforms and stealing uh, customer data and selling them to third parties
0: <laughs> oh the us is very good at that, <laughs> I don't
1: know that <laughs> not, the not just us so there's I'm a sorry. lot of chinese
0: <laughs> not, I mean, it's not a us no, it's no, not against right. the us there's a lot of yeah. chinese companies right. yeah. and a
1: lot of you know japanese companies to just do better we we yeah. have a very, relatively low it's uh technology sector but even that, we're catching up to. But Europe, yeah, don't worry about Europe. We'll okay. be fine. Um, both uh, Simply, we are just behind, uh, as per yeah. usual. We're a little bit slower in Europe.
0: So what about the, the political... What about the uh, cohesion of the union itself? I mean, are you bullish on the European Union coming out of COVID? Or do you see it becoming more... I don't know fractions fractionalized.
1: Covid, Covid being a big, uh, you know, the most interesting politically is Germany turned into from being the most frugal to being the biggest spender. I think that's a big change. Yeah, and uh, should the Green Party in Germany? come into, you know, at a minimum government, but even maybe the chancellorship, mm-hmm. you will see Europe and Germany change overnight. I mean, really? so this is mm-hmm. really something I need your your listeners who have an interest yep. in Europe to follow the, the upcoming German election, uh-huh. because if the Greens gets into power, they are super pro-Europe which means the aspiration that people like mario draghi the prime minister in italy has for Europe, that uh, macron to some extent have they can be back on the table whereas as long as a cdu csu merkel like person sits it's very difficult and you know but also i need to mention that there's a lot of geopolitical risk right now with uh, ukraine russia yeah. iran um, and that that very much plays into european politics as well uh, yeah. but 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 overall yeah you know, I know Americans love to say that the Amer- Europe ultimately will go down in flames because it 's not a coherent uh, uh, strategy or plan mm-hmm. but and and they are right but but maybe the <laughs> surprise maybe the yeah. surprise is that if a party like the green comes in, we will transform overnight the the whole landscape and the possibilities, and that 's the most important part to to actually take the European uh, project uh, one step uh, further ahead in order to be, you know, having one foreign minister, one prime minister, and the like.
0: Are you concerned about the political outlook in France, for example? Or are you concerned that France may shift to the right a little bit?
1: I think Macron is very concerned about the yeah, sure. political outlook. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my French colleagues and, and my t- French economists are very concerned, but. You know, I think we've been here before, where Marie Le Pen shows up really well in in the polls, and and then fail ultimately to deliver the goods at, on on voting day. But yeah. but you, you should never again, as I said, there there is a huge protest movement led by the young, but also by the disenfranchised the people, and France has a lot of those. Uh, but but I'm not you know i'm not more nervous about france than i'm about the us and that doesn't mean mm-hmm. i'm 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 seeing doom and gloom in neither i'm just saying that that they I, I think the next 5 years in my book will be the most interesting macro and political year in our history i, yep. I just think that we are at a at a point in history where we have to deal with these three generational challenges and yeah. the way we do it is wrong per mm-hmm. definition because we need productivity we need to invest in communities we need to invest in in real green transformation not just the illusion of it but but having said that i think from that failure comes an, an ultimate uh sort of reaction that will be positive for the u.s and 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 and, and for the world but i uh, you know I think when US turns uh, and start to go forward again, and and not look through the uh, rear mirror and instead of the front window of the car, which I think will be inside the next three to five years, then, then I really mm-hmm. think we will be in the most productive phase ever in in history.
0: Now I know that your outrageous predictions are one of the one of the the most anticipated events in the European market cycle, if I may if I may say so. I think it's true. Do you have an outrageous prediction you'd like to share with our listeners? Like, is Bitcoin going to crash the euro? There's been some speculation about that on the podcast in recent days. It's something Peter Thiel said. You think?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I have too little hair to, to be involved. I, I will I will disclaim that I've been an early adapter in the in the portfolio already back in the, in the autumn of last year. Oh,
0: okay. But my
1: my my most outrageous call will be I actually think the world is fine five years from now. Right, I, oh, I the That's of a
0: contrarian. Yeah, Medium.
1: but but I think you know we we are very close to <laughs> to solving for. Reduction in the cost of energy. And if we reduce the cost of energy as a a framework, we will create the biggest unleash of productivity, which will make all of these... You know, uh, alternative ways of working uh, yeah. work. It will be unified. Basic income will be possible.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: I just, I, I think we, you know, what I learned for the COVID nineteen is that if anyone had told me that twelve months after the initial breakout of COVID nineteen, we had a vaccine, and two years in, we will be dealing on on talking about the exit from this, I will be, I've, you know. Yeah. Mind you, I'm a bit pessimistic overall normally, but yeah, you are. But, but, I, 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 but I, but I think, <laughs> but, but I think the COVID nineteen response, the medical response, showed us what we can do as a human generation the ability if we 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 source everything together and i think the next up is is solving for energy cost because energy as i i've said a few times is going up simply because we underinvested and because we put too much demand on it in battery and baseload and the like and from that i think transpires a huge investment into the next generation of energy
0: all right, so we're gonna buy. We're gonna buy copper. We're gonna buy battery metals. We're gonna buy oil. We're gonna invest in last mile logistics. We're gonna put a little Bitcoin in there. We're gonna be bullish on Germany. We're buying Europe. It's all good. And Is that it?
1: Not least, <laughs> I-, I would say. The- but what you really need to do is to buy buy into people, believe in people.
0: That's I, it. I think that, yes. <laughs> I, I
1: think education and I think yep. uh, believing in that this new generation who's been left behind, they can catch up. Is we, If we do that right, we will have a phenomenal next uh, 20, 20, 30 years ahead of us. And and in that process, we will create a more balanced world.
0: Steen Jakobson, you get the last word. Let's vote Steen. Steen, and tw- come, come over here and, and run for president or something, will you?
1: I've been asked a few times to run for president, but uh, i tell you a funny story. So, you know, I've been invited by a lot of political parties, uh, particularly uh-huh. in Denmark, but also in Europe to come give uh, speeches, but I've never been invited back twice. So uh, I, don't, I don't think I have, a, <laughs> I have a great success in that line of business.
0: The Ugly Truth with Steen Jakobsen. Yeah. All right. Steen, thank you so much for speaking with the podcast today. It was great to catch up.
1: Rebecca, great questions. And thanks for having me and uh, good luck to, to everyone.
0: Rebecca Darst here again. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in again on Monday through Thursday next week for our regular episodes where John and I discuss geopolitics, finance, science, and tech.